Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Today's Daf Maseches Bavakama is Daf Yud Gimel, beginning towards the top of Yud Gimel Amud Aleph, and we're going to have five sections in today's Limud. And we're really picking up with a brisa that we quoted yesterday regarding the position of Rabbi Yossi Aglili, which we'll elaborate on now. So we have a brisa that we mentioned yesterday regarding Umal, Ma'al Ba'ashem. Rabbi Yossi Aglili deduced from that that the concept of Shuas HaPikadon, where one swears that he doesn't have an item of someone else falsely, and then it comes to light that he did, where he has to pay Karen Chomesh Fe'asham, is not only applicable by regular money of a hedgeot, but it's also applicable as it says Ba'ashem, this is Rabbi Yosef position we had yesterday, when it comes to Kadshim Kalim. Kadshim Kalim, we said, is considered Mamun Bailim, and therefore the fellow who swore falsely about this would be equally responsible if he had been watching the Kadshim Kalim, see the Korban Shlomim of his friend, in order to make Bichayev if he swore falsely. So we explained yesterday that Rabbi Yosef position was referencing the case of a Bechor, Outside of the Beis Hamikdash, that was the explanation of Ravina. So it's considered Mamun Bailim regarding the responsibility here, because it's not Roy Lakrava, it's not fit for service for being brought as a carbon, anyways. So now we begin, we're going to quote that actual Brisa and show that there's Rabbi Yosiaglili's position, which is then explained by two other Tanoim in the Brisa, and then we'll analyze this Brisa in its entirety. So the Gemara says like this The Brisa teaches us. Regarding Shuas Pikadinumal, Amal Ba'ashem, and Rabbi Yosef says this includes Larabos Kachim Kalim, that one would be responsible for Shuas Pikadon because it says Ba'ashem, it's considered Mamun Bailam. Ben Azai, and Rashi learns, is explaining Rabbi Yosef Ben Azai says it includes Shlamim. That's the words of Ben Azai. And Abba Yossi Ben Dustoi explains that Ben Azai only includes Bechor. So now, the Gemara has two versions of a conversation with the conclusion of Rabbi Yochanan in, to, in order to explain this b'raisa. So the first version is commenting on the words of Ben-Azai. So Ben-Azai said, Rabbi Yosei was only including Shlamim, specifically. So in this version, the Gemara explains that the inclusion uh, would be for Shlamim. It would also include Bechor, meaning Bechor would also be considered Mamun Bailim. The Gemara explains because Bechor actually has less sacrificial laws. There's less response. There's less sacrificial associations with it in terms of the step the Korban has brought. So it's more Mamun Bailim. So certainly that would be considered Mamun Bailim according to this Ben Azai in regards to Shvas Apikadon. And the thing that would be excluded would be Meiser Behema. Since Meiser Behema, the tenth animal, can't be sold, so it's less Mamun Bailim, more Mamun Gavoa. And it wouldn't have the laws necessarily of Shuas um, Apikadon. Now that's the first version. Second version is that the same Shaklavatari took place, but it's commenting on the words of Abba, Abba, um, Abba Yossi Ben Dustoy. So commenting on his words, the Gemara says the same idea, which is Abba Yossi Ben Dustoy said the explanation of Ben Azai back in Rabbi Yossi Aglili is that it's including Bechor. So on that, the Gemara explains. It includes Shlamim. It's also less, it's considered more Mamun Bailim because it's not Kadosh Merechem. It's not considered sanctified from the moment it's born. 
So if, if included in Mamun Bailam is Bechor, certainly included in, it would be Shlamim. But it would exclude Maeser Behema, again, because we said Maeser Behema can't be sold off. We derive that from Haramim. That's not Mamun Bailam, and you wouldn't have the law of Shuas HaPikadon regarding Maeser Behema. Fine. Now this is all within the first explanation of our Mishnah, that when it says property that doesn't have Me'ila, it's referring to Kachim Kalim, like we explained the position of Rabbi Yosei That's also considered Mamun Bailim, and there would be responsibility to pay if you damage Kachim Kalim of somebody else. And that's how Rabbi Yochanan explained back in the last Amr. However, Rava gives a second explanation in the Mishnah. When it says property without Me'ila, it just means general property of Karbanos, hektish in general. Those would not have responsibility if they were, da- if they were damaged. Because property is without Me'ila means Mamun Hetyot, meaning if you damage individual, regular people's Karbanos, regular people's, uh, excuse me, property, so then you're responsible to pay. Where there is Me'ila associated with it means even though Kachim Kalim doesn't have Me'ila, as we explained through Biosag Lili, nonetheless, the halacha is that it's, it's still included under the general guise of Hektish, so that's excluded in our Mishnah. You wouldn't be responsible, whether it's Kachim Kachim, Kachim Kalim, if you damage them, you're not responsible. You're only responsible for damaging a hedgeot. Moving on to the second section. Gemara now tells us the flip of the cases we've been discussing. See, until now we've been discussing scenarios where a hedgeot damaged a carbon, damaged a shlamim, like we've been discussing. But now the Gemara discusses two scenarios where a carbon damaged a hedgeot. So Rabbi Abba introduces the first case, which is where a carbon shlamim damaged a, a, person, a person's personal animal. And Rabbi Abba explains that the Niza cannot collect the entire Chatzinezek from the basar of that shlamim, meaning which usually goes to the owners, in order to cover the half responsibility of the emurin, which means the way we look at it is there's a partnership and responsibility. There's the basar, which is owned by the owners, and the emurin, which is owned by Hashem, and the Chiddush over here would be is that even though there is such a responsibility, you could only collect, let's say, Chatzinezek, because we're dealing with a Tam, this Shlamim, from the Basar itself, and the Basar doesn't have to pay more, for example, let's say it's worth 150 out of the 200, in order to cover what the Emurim doesn't have to pay, because that's certainly Mamun Gavoa. And the Gemara explains this idea both within both Shitas, Rabban and Rabbi Nasan, in a different Sugya later. So there's a machlokis there, Rabban and Rabbi Nasan, if someone's shore pushes another person's shore into a third person's bore. So who's responsible to pay? The Rabbanan say, we don't shift responsibility from the pit owner who's not responsible back to the owner of the ox. So in this case, we would say like this. Here, since it's one body, one might argue, meaning here you have a partnership, unlike there where it's two bodies, you have the original mazik shore, and you have the boar. But here, you have one body, which is a combination of the flesh that's owned by the owner, Emurim, which is owned by Hashem. So you might think you do shift responsibility. Kamash Malan, the buster does not have to cover the expenses that would be incurred by the Emurim as well. Or we could explain Nasan, who holds over there, we actually do shift responsibility, which means we say that it's shared, and therefore, if one isn't paying, the other one should. Here, we're not going to say that. Why? Because here, emurin are equally responsible. It means there is a real responsibility that the emurin, in the case like Hashem's item or part of that animal, 
are responsible for, and you can't shift that back to the basar, unlike where it's found in the bore, where you could actually shift it back. So we've explained, therefore, this psak verbi abba in the context of both of those uh, tanoi. Now, moving on to the second case, where you don't have a shlaman that damages a hedgeot's animal, but rather a carbon toda damages a a carbon soda damages a hedgeot's animal. So Rava says, in such a scenario, the Niza can collect from the Basar, again, because the Basar is Mamun Bailim, but not from the 40 loaves of bread associated with it that are brought along with the carbon soda. That's not in the Rishus of the Mazik to have to pay to the Nizak. Rather, the Mazik, the one who has to bring this carbon soda, will be able to keep those and bring those himself. And the Gemara explains the Chiddush in this, is although the Nizak ends up eating the flesh of that animal, the mazik who's receiving the kapara for bringing this toda, this toda still needs to bring the loaves. He can't shift the responsibility to bring those loaves of bread to the mazik because he'll claim and, and claim that if you're eating the meat and the only way the meat is considered prepared and acceptable is if you bring 40 loaves, so maybe you should be responsible to cover the 40 loaves as well. He can't say that. Rather, he has to bring the loaves by himself and he, as he is the miskapar. Moving on now to the third section of the day. So the Gemara now tells us the next words in the Mishnah, the next clauses in the Mishnah, people that are not responsible versus responsible when it comes to damages. So we're going to have three categories we'll discuss now. B'nai bris, property that's miyuchadim, and miyuchedes lemazik. So b'nai bris, the Gemara explains, teaches us that it excludes non-Jews, which means the only chiyuv would be for b'nai bris, which are Jews, not if you damage that property of non-b'nai bris, which means non-Jews. Miyuchadim, what is miyuchadim referring to? So there's three explanations in the Gemara. What does it mean designated or unique property? The first shot the Gemara says is, in a scenario where it's unclear, you have a suffix, which of two animals owned by two different donors damaged your ox, they're both exempt because it's a suffix. Second shot is, if an ox of Hefker damaged the Nizik's ox, and subsequently, even if somebody claimed it, the halacha would still be that the one who claimed it would be exempt He's not responsible because it damaged in a state when it was hefker. And the third explanation the Gemara says in is if the mazik was makdish or mafkir, the damaging ox that he owned at the time of the damage, after the time of the damage, which the Gemara explains would be till the Gemara din, he would be exempt as the item that had damaged now is hektish or hefker. And the third clause that we're going to explain now, which is miyuchedes lamazik, the Gemara explains, if the nizik's animal wandered into the mazik's field and then the nizik's animal was damaged, the mazik could say, your ox shouldn't have been in my domain and therefore I'm, I'm not responsible for the damages that happened to it. Moving on to the fourth section. We said in the Mishnah, in the next line of the Mishnah, Now it's not clear if that's read with the prior clause of those items that you're not responsible for, or with the next clause which says, which is responsibility. And it's machloikis. But Chizda holds, it's read with the next clause, which is Chava Mazik. And the way he interprets it is because he holds, if one's ox damaged, Shane Varegel, or even, and certainly regarding Karen, in a partnership owned field, the Allah would be that you're responsible. So that's what it would mean. Nizik Va Mazik, Chava Mazik, is that you're responsible for sure with Karen and, and even with Shane and Regel if your animal damaged in a shared property. However, Belazar says it's read with the prior list of examples where your putter, the exemptions, and therefore he actually explains that Shane Varegel in a partnership field would be exempt. And moving on to the final section, the Gemara explains, the, how does this work? Because according to Rav Chizda, so we explain what the clause of Chava Mazik would be referring to. It's read along with Nizik Va Mazik. 
But according to Rabbi Lazar, Chava Mazik, what is that clause referring to? And this actually references back to earlier Machlokas Amorayim that we had. So it would emerge like this. According to Rabbi Lazar, we had the position of Shmuel earlier in the Masechta, who said Shor in the Mishnah refers to just Regel and not Karen. So then, Chava Mazik is referencing the fact that there's general responsibility for Karen, the damage of Karen as well. But according to Rav, Shor includes Kol Mili Shor, which means includes Karen, Shane, and Regel. So then what does Chava Mazik include? And this leads us to a Brisa, because the Brisa elaborates on the words Chava Mazik and says it re- refers to the responsibility of Shomrim, when it comes to Shomrim who are guarding an ox. And on this, that would be what Rav Lazar, within the position of Rav, would say that Chava Mazik is including. Now what does the Brisa say? The Brisa says, in the cases of four Shomrim, you know the four Shomrim, they have the same laws of Tam and Muad, which is if it's a Tam, you're Chayev Chatzin Nezek, Muad Nezek Sholim. You'll have to explain this Brisa momentarily. And the Brisa continues and says, if it was at night when the ox broke out and damaged, or robbers removed the ox, causing it to damage, then there would be an exemption. L'chorah means that the Shomer would be exempt and not responsible. Turning to Yadalad and Mudalif. So the Gemara explains, with, again, within the position of Rav, within the position of Rabbi Elazar, in explaining Chava Mazik is including this case of Shomrim, that what is the case of the Brisa? It's where the ox of the lender damaged the ox of the borrower. Now the scenario would be where the borrower only accepted to watch the animal but is not responsible. He didn't accept responsibility for damages it would cause. So therefore, the owner of the damaging ox, which is the lender's ox here, the lender would have to pay the borrower because the borrower didn't take responsibility for damages that animal would cause. So the lender can't say, if it would damage someone else, you'd be responsible. For sure, I shouldn't have to pay you. And therefore, he has to pay the borrower for the damage afforded to his ox. Now, that's how we explain the first part of the brysa. The end of the brysa, which distinguishes between night and day, and also if robbers broke it out, that's a scenario where he did take responsibility, says the Gemara, for the damages caused by this ox. And the way we would read it is, even if he took responsibility, if the ox broke out at night, or it was broken out by robbers, that's already beyond his control, and the shomer would be exempt. If, however, it was during the day, the shomer would be responsible because, the, and the way we're interpreting the end of the Bryce is, he did take responsibility for its damages, and then he would be liable. Now we're stopping here at the top of Yudal and Aleph. As Hashem will pick up tomorrow with Daf Yudalid, continuing to discuss these different halachos. In the meantime, everybody have a wonderful day.